What would you do if we poked you in the axiom? The purpose, to ask questions and engage in dialogue about subjects that we call axioms. An axiom. A statement or proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, or self-evidently true. These are the underpinnings of our thought, our belief, and the ways that we live out our lives. A question. An examination to determine the validity and or meaning. Dialogue. The process of determination. The process of our examination. Welcome. Welcome, constant listener, once again, to What Would You Do If We Poked You in the Axiom? We are grateful that you are with us. We are grateful that you are on this journey with us as we take these subjects that we call axioms as, and as we, as we poke at them, as we have fun with them, but also as we try to, try to understand them better so that we might understand ourselves better and so that we might better understand the world around us. Um, we want to do this because we think it is worthwhile and because we think that our world needs it. And so we are just bold enough and just arrogant enough to think that this world needs what we do, which is a, <laughs> which is a sort of sort of terrible thing to say uh, in some ways. Well, my so, mom always told me that I had something to contribute, so... <laughs> <laughs> and here you are, and just proving her wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> so, uh, so on the table today, uh, we're going to continue to talk about morality. We're going to continue to talk about the, the axiom of morality uh, and what it is and uh, where it comes from and all these, all these types of questions. And so the last time that we had, that we had gotten together, uh, 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 Thomas was, was relatively uh, relatively down on morality. I, 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 there's a certain word I'm trying to think of, and it's not coming to coming to hand right now. Uh, but uh, uh, on the on the system of morality and, and how uh, how it doesn't seem to change the person, uh, and so that's a good thing to hold on to. I think as we as we think as we as we carry forward, I was uh, I was quite uh, quite adamant about th- about thinking of it as as this process of decision making uh, that we go about. Uh, and Mike Mike was relatively silent because he's. I'm dying a little bit over here. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You've caught whatever, whatever has afflicted Thomas, and and just are, are dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's called existential dread. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's that, and then there's the uh, the physical illness that knocked me out for two weeks. That. But Mike is Mike <laughs> is on the mend, and so we're we're happy to be back in the studio uh, to continue to talk about to continue to talk about morality. So last time we'd ended, and I had I had posed a question uh, of of what is the goal of morality? What is the goal of morality? That's that's where we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pick up today. So what is the goal of morality? I'm throwing it to my co-hosts here. <clears throat> Depends on what system of morality. We're talking about, I suppose. Okay, but that's not—that's not really the question, is it? It's, it's in general. Can we take that as a general as a general question? Is there is there a common goal? Let's let, let me phrase it that way. Is there a common goal to to various systems of morality? I I would assume that there's a common goal that. Uh, each system of morality is trying to find some way to outline what is right and wrong and bad in, in given circumstances, right? Like that's kind of the, at least the axiomatic assumption that we probably, you know, most people would, would nod until at least they thought about it for a minute. Except for Thomas, who would be like, absolutely not. <laughs> well, if, there, if we're going to like look at a very general common goal... 
of different systems of morality, I would say it would be the uh, directing of human behavior for the proper functioning of society. That makes it sound very utilitarian. That makes it sound very, uh, um, well, I guess utilitarian is the only word that I can come up with right now. It sounds like it's very results-oriented, very materialistic. Yeah, I mean, it can be. I'm trying to look at it like in a general sense. That's why I originally started off saying, well, it depends on what. Because like for Aristotle, <clears throat> morality was the practice of virtue. Well, it was so that, you know, yes, it had a societal function, but also so that you'd be directed towards the highest good. For Plato as well, it had a transcendent function that, you know, proper behavior, mainly virtue, uh, and philosophical contemplation could lead you to a knowledge of the forms. Um, you know, religious morality, obviously, as long as you don't stay at the level of morality, has, you know, a telos, which is union with God. I mean, the system of Buddhist ethics would be to achieve nirvana, etc. So, so... What about today? Let's, let's let's bring it to where we're at today. Uh, those are, and some of those things exist today. Certainly, um, you know, there are people who are practicing Buddhism. I'm sure there are people who are, in their own way, following the the thought of uh, Plato and Aristotle. But um, but what about today? What what do we what do we see as the goal of of morality in our world today? Which button has the crickets? I can't remember. <laughs> I think it was the blue one. The consolidation of power for our particular political parties. <laughs> Thomas jumps at the chance to <laughs> rail against the systems of society, the governmental systems. <laughs> but uh, hang on, though, because I think that that's uh, – there's certainly a cultural goal to our morality. There's certainly a goal of preserving something. Uh, there's certainly a goal of, of, of saying, you know, our culture, our society has said that this is right or that this is wrong. And so there is a conformist uh, goal in many ways. And that might be, for me, I think that might be one of the, one of the biggest problems of, of a moral system that we see at, at play in our world today, at least in our Western world, is that there seems to be more of a conform to this, conform to this, uh, th- this culture, this society that we're trying to trying to make make here, and and, and so morality becomes, in a way, you know, whatever it is that we say it is, which I think is is an unfortunate and a very dangerous mistake to make. How would you end up with morality that is not what we say it is? Say, ask that, que- ask that how, question. How again. would you end up with morality that's not something that we've it would have to come it would have decided. to come from another source it would have to come from another source other than than something that that we've agreed upon so this is i mean in the field of ethics it's divine command theory that morality is that which has been revealed by god yeah yeah i, I think that's so you know the the peterson lectures on on Genesis, yeah, right, or I think it was on Genesis, Genesis right? Yeah, uh, and in there, you know, one of the things that he was talking about, 
and I know it's not in Genesis, it's in Exodus, but talking about the, the giving of the law and how that was sort of a process of, of, the, of the, uh, the society that, it, that, that was represented there and the culture that was represented there, and it was something very sophisticated that, that Moses was doing and, and, and taking, these, taking these values and putting them, de- putting them together into something, right? Which is unfortunate because that kind of takes away the transcendent nature of the Ten Commandments of saying, like, God is the one who has come down and, and given these things to his people. Actually, it's funny about that because I was going to use that same example for... Um, ah, I did it first. <laughs> you did. I actually think that's a great example because I think that is what most societies do. And I think it's a largely... Distill out distill from behavior out in the culture what of is, like what is right and what is wrong. Right. Like it's not, it's not like they're like, okay, here's a set of arbitrary ro- laws. They're looking at you know, like, what do people already do? What are, the, what are the things that have helped us flourish? What are the things that have been destructive? And over time, like, you know, they, they piece those things together and say, this is clearly what has worked. And this is clearly what hasn't worked. And I mean, our ancestors were not these uh, knuckle-dragging idiots that we so often want them to be. They were, they're only that when we want them to be right. that. And then they're very sophisticated when we want them to be sophisticated, when they, when they help us to prove our point. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, they could clearly look around them and see. I mean, they're operating with the same you know, hardware that we have right now. Our minds have not changed that much, uh, as much as we would like to think. And they could see what was what was viable and what wasn't. English common law is a lot like this as well. I mean, you'd have a issue and you'd go to, you know, the magistrate or whatever, and you would look over, you know, the course of <laughs> all these cases and be like, okay, this is the thing that has happened before. Or if there wasn't any precedent, they'd be like, you know, this seems to be the best we can do. It wasn't it was a very so organic form of governance. So let's let's stick with that for a minute because I think that there's a there's a link there, and I, I've in some of our in some of our recent recent recordings and some of our recent podcasts, I've I've sort of been thinking about the law as well. That in talking about good and evil and talking about morality, that you you sort of have to think about the law as as well because the law codifies it. It, it sort of sets it in. You know, in some ways, literally in stone. Uh, you know what is right and what is wrong. This is the line that we that we have drawn uh, and said. You know, this is this is right and this is wrong. So, what becomes what becomes the goal in the in, in the saying of that? What becomes the goal in the saying of this is right and this is wrong? I mean, it gives you, in some sense, a measuring stick. Okay, you can evaluate. I mean, so evaluating like- evaluating our own behavior. Yeah. We're evaluating the behavior of society. Yeah. I mean, that seemed to be uh, even, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll try not to choke too much on the, uh, in the audio, um, talking about the magistrate, right? Like that's, that's what he's doing is he's, he's looking at the, the best data he can get to try to make some sort of measurement or determination and say, this is, this is right. This is wrong. You win, you lose. Like, I don't know. And who, how does he, who holds him to that standard? Who holds him to that standard? Or her. Uh, the person with the most money. <laughs> it's a system of checks and balances. That's, I mean, and even, I mean, 
Like England is a interesting example of that because they were able to keep their traditional monarchy with constant, uh, basically, updates in society. And the way that they did that was they had to continue to not just, you know, give the people what they uh, wanted and needed, but in some ways, like, adjust to the demands of the people. So, I mean, you'd see, you know, the, uh, the Magna Carta, when that was signed, you know, the, the, the arising of the parliament. I mean, people having a voice until, like, today, it's, you know, they basically have a representative government with uh, the monarch as their, their figurehead. And, I mean, that's a really kind of naturally progressing uh, system of governance. And, like, I mean, so, like, who, like, is the check and balance on, like, the magistrate? Well, the people, because eventually the people will take that magistrate and drag him out of the courthouse, which has happened in history. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, I mean, revolutions arise when governments become too tyrannous unless there's a way for the government to pacify the people. Or if there's a way for the government to reform itself. Or reform itself, yes. Which I, I kind of hear you saying is, is one of the things that, that English uh, law or English culture and society has done. It's, it's reformed itself, uh, although the, there have been some bloody times uh, within, within England. Oh yeah, themselves. absolutely. But it's it's been able to reform itself and and maintain itself, right? Um, as opposed to say, as opposed to say, you know, let's take Russia, where the monarchy got destroyed. Yeah, it couldn't reform itself. Right, right. Even though it was sort of on its way to reforming itself, um, but it got it it'd got been too late. It had been too rigid for too long. Whereas England has all these little permutations right. throughout history. Right, right. Uh, and so. Um, and so Russia, sort of the nature of Russia changed because, um, because it was unable to, unable to reform itself and, and maintain, you know, that identity that it had had. And so now it looks very different than it had before. So we, we got, we got into, we got into law and then we got into, I don't know, questions of national identity in some, in some ways, I guess, but, um, the goal, I'm going to, I'm going to propose this. I think, I think that in, in many ways, the, the, the goal of morality today is simply permission giving, is, is giving permission to, to people to, to be able to be or act or behave in the ways that they want. Yeah, and I think in addition to that, it's the moral decision is what's best for me without hurting someone else. Uh, with hurting someone else as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a fairly defined <laughs> defined <laughs> answer. <laughs> I think um I think oh. oh go ahead Mike. I was just kind of I'm looking for areas to poke. I I guess um do you think that people actually define it that way in their in their minds? No. But I think I think we tend to define things in ways that make us feel good. And because of this, our definitions most likely have very little to do with the actuality of the thing. Mm. So like hyper-biased. <clears throat> yeah. 
I don't, I don't know that I would agree on like on on it on it dealing with the actuality of the thing because, and maybe I'm just not understanding what it is that you mean, but I think that a lot of the decisions that are made in a moral sense and called good in a moral sense are are dealing with dealing with our desires, right? And so because because it it is something that we desire, we end up saying that it is good, right? Yes. And so we've gone through the process of determining whether or not a decision or a behavior or an action is good or or bad, is is right or wrong. I'm going to try and use right and wrong instead of good or bad because we were just talking about good and evil. Um, And right or wrong, I think better describe it. So we call it right um, based on the actuality of of the, the thing that we desire. I mean, it's 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 the it, what was it when uh, when Woody Allen, um, you know, divorced his his wife to marry his his adopted daughter, and when he was asked why, the answer was, "Well, the heart wants what the heart wants." Because I've already been sexually abusing her for years, and she has Stockholm syndrome, and so I'm going to marry her. But the answer that he gave... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, there's like a libel or what, that's slander. It's on, it's the, spoken. Yeah, well, there it is. But, yeah. uh, but the answer that he gave was because the heart wants what the heart wants, right? And I think that that, I think that, that accurately, maybe without him realizing it, accurately describes a lot of the decisions, the moral decisions, the decisions to make uh, and to say whether this thing is right or it is wrong, um, are, are come down to that. And so I think that the goal of morality at least as we see it today, is is very far removed from what the goal of morality has been in the past in, in some of the things that, that you had talked about, Thomas, with um, you know, with Aristotle, with Plato, with Buddhism, with with Christian morality. The goal of morality today, uh, I think, is just to self satisfy the person. I think it's just to 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 give us some sense of I'm okay. Yeah, I don't disagree. I just don't think that so what I mean by like the actuality of thing is because, like you said, if we desire something, we want to believe that that desire is good. Right. But just because we want something to be good does not mean it is good. Yes. Okay. That's okay. What I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if uh, if it's not – like I, I think there are people who are at odds. <clears throat> you know, there's plenty of Woody Allen's out there. But I think there are plenty of people who are also at odds with their sense of morality, what they believe is right versus what they want, and that they will use that to keep themselves in check according to whatever morality, moral system they're, they, they believe is correct. So can you, can you give an example? Because I, I could think of I, – I hear what you're saying and I could, yeah. I could see it. Coming into play in like some small decisions, okay. But um, when it comes to when it comes to some bigger decisions, that's when I think that's well, when I think the heart wants what the heart wants wins. Well, I mean, if that's if that's the case, then I don't think that's any different than all throughout history. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah, without a doubt. Well, let's hear your example. Well, so I guess I guess where I, what I'm poking at is like you're you're kind of indicating that like morality used to be one thing, but now it's just like the heart wants what the heart wants, and I think it's either always been the heart wants what the heart wants when it comes to big decisions, or, uh, or not. But I don't I don't think that it has actually really truly changed, um, in in that sense. Uh, like, 
man, pick an issue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like there, there are a lot of issues and, you know, like, so on the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Like you might leave your spouse, whether you believe it's right or not, like whether you believe that's the moral decision, let's say you're, you're in a, a traditional Judeo-Christian worldview, which is the one we're all most familiar with, where like divorce is kind of a no-no. And, but you just come to a point where you're like, we don't love each other. This is a toxic relationship. Even if there isn't somebody else, this relationship is damaging to both of us. Um, and so eventually you're like, that's it, it's over. And you say, well, it's, you know, you, you find ways to justify it. Mm-hmm. But I think in those moments, you're, you're working hard to find ways to justify why you needed to part with your morality then more than trying to make your morality be that. And I guess that's, you so, can find examples of both. Yeah. So let me, no, let me stick with that. So the, 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 the example with the, the Judeo-Christian, you know, view of marriage and divorce, right, that you just brought up. And, and the hypothetical situation that you described sort of assumes that there was a there was an honest effort that was made, and that there yep. was and that there was a real effort to be made, you know, to be faithful, to make a relationship work, uh, as opposed to um, somebody checked out a long time ago, right? And and they a long time ago made a decision for what the heart wants, what the heart wants, right? And they didn't make that honest effort to to be present in that relationship and to, and to, and to be in that relationship. Right. And I guess on some level we could also, we could also argue, um, that how do you make that relationship work? You know, do you, have you set yourself aside? Have you put the other person has their, uh, have you, have you thought of the, the other person's interests? Um, you know, have you done, done those things? Have you given yourself in sacrifice and in love to that person? Um, the Woody Allen case, you know, it's <laughs> such a great extreme case, it right? Is, it is. It, it, well, which is why, you know, it, I mean, it's like the Hitler, right? Yeah. <laughs> great. Woody Allen is the new Hitler. We He's the Hitler of divorce. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Don't die, Mike. Don't die. Um, and so I, I would, I would argue that in, in, in that example, in the opposite example here, the heart wants what the heart wants, that decision was made a long time ago in some very, very small ways, which mm. Thomas sort of libelously indicated. Right, Technically, right, it's right. slander. Libel would be in print, I believe. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, so as, as Thomas slanderously indicated before, <laughs> that decision was made long before any legal decision had been made or right. any legal you know, right. thing had been made. So the, so the, the situation that you're describing is, is, is a good one. Uh, in a, in the sense of like, yeah, I think that I think that if there's, you can own up to a mistake, right? And you can own up to the reality of like, look, maybe maybe we've made a mistake here. Right. We've we've given an honest effort. We've tried to live within this this system, right? But we made a mistake, and and that's at least an honest an honesty on on some level, right? So, yeah. I mean, and and I don't think this is actually a good example. To use <laughs> the, the Woody Allen example, no, or just this, marriage this, in general. Well, no, I mean because what we're like, we're not really talking about an immoral decision. Even like, I mean, well, I mean, it depends on the morality that you're right. So, I mean, for, for my like framework, like Orthodox Christianity, that would be a heartbreaking decision. But if a marriage is like extreme, is actually toxic, right? Like, 
that's where what we call uh, like the economy of faith comes into play. It's like you need like there's nothing that can be done. It's understood. Like no matter how heartbreaking this, we have to. You know, have yeah, to and that's part of why I brought in those those aspects of right. it is because it makes it a much more difficult decision. But we were or, so you know, sorry. Well, it just it just makes it less cut and dry when you're like this is like it's just awful. Absolutely. And like but nobody's necessarily like, you know, there's no adultery, there's nothing in the traditional sense that would be like, well, okay, you're fine. So this is why I think it's a bad example for what we were like the question was, which was like, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants and how that's what our morality has kind of become. Hmm. And you said that it was, you know, most likely always that way throughout time. I don't think it was and I think we can look at how it changed with the sexual revolution in the sixties. Like it, clear- it didn't change with the uh, American revolution in the, <laughs> in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, what is the American revolution? Do we even know? It was in the seventies. Oh, uh, no. So yes, obviously these things happened. You had, <laughs> you had people who, um, you know, would do these things. It's obviously always happened. And maybe even like the inclination in the heart, um, obviously that's always been there too, but there was enough of societal restriction and enough, uh, I don't know, let's say like moral shaming that it was kept like when it happened, that's why like the whole community was like, Oh my God, did you hear what happened between, you know, Jack and Jill? I know that's why the scarlet letter could be right. Written. That's why the scarlet letter. Could I be think written. we're, we're talking about sexual morality. I think I'm talking about overarching like morality. So let me, Okay. So not just like the running off, but like the heart wants what the heart wants. It's like just selfish behavior in general has always been to the best of, you know, this society's ability restrained. And this is why I think that morality has to have a piece of it, which is for the proper functioning of society. Because if you have a bunch of people just getting divorced all the time and abandoning their children Society cannot function. Society will go down. The state will have to grow in order to take care of those people, which, by the way, is what we've seen in America since the 60s when the divorce rates skyrocketed. You would had to have an increase of social safety nets to provide for these things. And so when our morality shifted to being focused more on our own personal desires, there was something that happened in society on a mass scale. And before... Society had always tried to restrain personal desires for the proper functioning of. Community. So I think I think that the I think what you're talking about, Thomas, is in in some way true. But it, it I'm I'm going to agree with Mike in that I, I do think that that desire to do whatever it is that we want to do has always been there. Yeah, I said it's always been there. Okay, um, and I and and I do agree that like that before it was restrained, right? Um, however. I think it has a – there's a portion of it that has to do with whether or not you can, like whether or not you have the economy of being able to do it, right? Um, divorce is expensive and divorce has – especially when there are kids involved, has ramifications. Um, for the entire community. For the entire community, immediately for the community yeah. of the family, right? And and we can very easily look and, and, and see and, and be able to say where where those ramifications hit. Right, um, it is it is a very difficult thing for children. It is a very difficult thing for parents to deal with. 
Um, and, and so, uh, in a, in a, in a more economic sense, um, and again, you know, we can look at our world around us and say, um, it, it, it's, it's economically very difficult to be, to be a single parent, right? And so a lot of times in the past, the restraint wasn't even necessarily like a moral restraint, um, but was simply an economic restraint. Where I'm going with this is, is, is that I think that, that, that some of it has to do, some of it simply has to do with the material availability. Um, and, and that now in our world, in our Western world, we have a, uh, an abundance of riches that has allowed our morality to become lax. Well, the economic uh, means have largely come from the state. And I'm not like disagreeing with food stamp programs or WIC or subsidized housing. Like I believe, I think a strong uh, social safety nets are good. But if we look at what actually happened when divorce rates skyrocketed, it was that the state kept stepping in to help with this problem. So it's not. It wasn't. Be, it's it, not necessarily because we lived in a free market economy where it, it, it was more than that. Because it, we had that's a piece social of safety nets to provide for single mothers. That's a, that's a piece of it, but but a lot of it also has to do, I think, with the industrialization, with the with, in a sense, the economy of labor. Um, you as a as a single person in the in the in the economic system that we have um, can earn earn your way in this world in a far easier way than in an agrarian world, right? Um, because you can go and you can work in a shop for an hourly wage and and because of the prices of things, you don't necessarily need to have a big plot of land that you have to spend. But if you throw a child into the mix, you are going to still need help from the state. On some level, yes. On some level, yes. But but wh- what I'm saying is, is that it, it, it goes, I think it goes beyond simply the the strong, you know, social safety nets that the state has instituted. I think that there is there's a larger, a larger thing at play. Well, I think that I think that the abundance of, of the economy of the West is allowed for it because, because I don't think that you, and and we'd have to look and check the numbers, but in in a lot of places um, that still hold to some, we'll, we'll stick with marriage, some traditional forms of of marriage in the family. Um, that don't have the abundance of economy, um, you see a, you see a stronger hold to it. And I know that we could argue, we could say like, you know, what is, is it causality or is it, or is it, um, commonality, right? Correlation. Correlation. Thank you. Uh, is it causality or correlation? But in the past, you know, those that were able to, to do the things that they want were the, were the rich, they were the Lords, they were the nobles, they were the ones that had, had the, and, and they also had, they also had the, um, the ability to shape the, to shape the law. Well, so this is why if you live in a capitalist society, which is dependent upon the ever increasing consumption of goods, that you have to remove restraint. So what you saw with the growth of economic abundance in the United States, especially after World War II, when all the soldiers came back and you had the baby boom, who were the ones who were taking part in the sexual uh, revolution, was the falling away of the traditional moral structures, which had up until then kept society more or less stable. And so you had an increase in individualization and personal choice so that we could 
choose to consume whatever we wanted. And with that, the falling away of sexual restraint. And, I mean, that's basically the wreckage that we are living in now. It's necessary in a consumer-driven society to remove as much restraint as possible so that people are free to consume what they want. And if it's beneficial to work on destroying the traditional structures of marriage and family raising so that you can have two consumers instead of one, then that's what will happen. The, the best um, – <clears throat> best is not the right word. The uh, – in terms of target market. Your highest financial target is uh, double income, no kids. Dinks. 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 Yep. Um, so, I mean, I'm not sure that it's it's really necessarily in the best interest to destroy the family structure. I mean, maybe to promote not having kids, but actually kids are an incredibly profitable thing. Like when you go to the movie theater, the, the most – the highest grossing uh, aside of like from like Marvel, but like the, the best turnout movies are the kids movies, the family movies, because the whole family comes and instead of getting one ticket, you're getting four or in my case, six, right? <laughs> in some cases, nine. Uh, so I don't know that, I don't know that I would totally like, I, I see how there can be benefit, you know, especially because in, in the marketing world, it is, like get people to buy, right. um, and and that's one of the reasons why I struggle so much with like church marketing stuff is we're taking all these get people drive people through this funnel to get them to make this conversion decision at conversion in this case being a purchase or signing up for something or just join our society. But look at uh, right. Look at the look at the actuality of what is being marketed today as the mm-hmm. ideal life, and we just like turn on the TV. Driving Audi. It's, I don't al- know. it's always, you know, it's always self fulfillment. Usually, it's complete self fulfillment. And look at like what happens on, like, our shows. Like our shows, it's always like it's viewed as a positive good when you put yourself before all things, even before your family. It's well, TV shows everywhere. And this, so this is this is why I said that I think that the goal of morality today is just to satisfy ourselves. It's just to it's and. And even and it's even been been twisted. Um, so why does it, it's it's been twisted in the sense of of saying like you know to make that decision to buy that Audi mic right is is has become like a good decision. It's become a moral decision in a in a in a very weird way. I think in a way that I guess I haven't seen buying an Audi as a well moral. in the I mean in, I've seen in it the as self, a judgmental thing. In it's Audi. In the sense of in the sense of being self fulfilling in the sense of like. You know, live your best life, find yourself. Is uh, that a morality thing, or is that a uh, satisfaction with life thing? It's a. It, it, I think it. I think it is a morality thing. We have to make it a moral decision because we we are moral creatures. So we have to like like if we say it's good, that it's a positive good. Well, I think it follow it, that path too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it. I think it. It comes down to the sense of of being. I think it comes down to the sense of being permissive, right? That the 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 moral system today is 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 more designed, not in a conscious way, but we we let it become this thing that that is giving us permission to to satisfy those to satisfy those desires, um, and it's true that the systems that 
we've had in the past have been systems of restraint, right? Uh, and so this is right, this is wrong. Do the right, not the wrong. Hmm. And and it and I I don't think it's a wrong thing to say on some level that that is a function of morality. Um, and so it's when your goal becomes becomes yourself, you're quick to throw out those things that that put restraint on yourself um, because. Because you're putting the goal inward rather than outward, which is which is sort of a, a unfortunate thing. Because I think that the true fulfillment of ourselves would be not would be to find the transcendent within us, would be to find the the divine within us, right? And so I, I do think that there is there is good in restraint to a degree. Go for it. So this is why I said last episode that I believe morality comes into play when true goodness isn't there. Because, like, uh, you were both pointing out, like, even with the restraints in place, obviously the desire throughout human history has always been in the human heart. It's still there. Right. So our systems of morality were meant to restrain the darker aspects of our desires so society can function. Because divorce is not good for societies. Well, it hasn't been good for societies up until, you know, we have all this crap around us. Uh, the broken homes was not good for society. And it's still not. I mean, that's why the state has grown in proportion to all of our broken family structures. But that was always there, and it was restrained. The thing that morality could not touch was the human heart. Right. It could only control the behaviors. It could not. Morality... As a system. It can get... Like you said a few episodes ago about law, like... Law and morality can get you to neutrality. They cannot. Get I you. said that. Yeah. Awesome. I know it was great. I remembered it, <laughs> but it can't get you to goodness. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would. I would agree that morality can't produce goodness. I, I'm definitely on board with that. How do you mean it can't produce goodness? Because is, simply is not doing bad things doesn't make you're good. And also like we have to, what we haven't touched on yet is what would actually make, do we have a system action moral, which would also, I think include intent. If you're doing something good because you feel like you have to, or you're afraid of not doing it, you're not really your intentions. Cause you're not, afraid of going to hell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. No, it's a perfect example. I'm not doing it out of love. I'm doing it out of fear. I think that well, there's okay. So, to, so coming back to like the the sort of positive goodness of of morality, let's let's take a second to say because we were just talking about the restraint of morality in the past. Let's take a second to say that that it's not simply divorce hasn't been coming back to the Judeo-Christian thing, right? Like divorce becomes like the bad thing, right? But the other side to that is the positive, which is that is which is that that marriage, stable marriage, one man, one woman together has been the positive, right? So like that becomes the good. That yes. becomes the the positive goal that you are. But it doesn't necessarily make you good. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, right. I mean you can have you can have a, a marriage in that respect where everything is toxic and awful and it produces broken, broken children. Yes. Is it still good? Was it still the moral thing to, to maintain that marriage? I guess I would say that it didn't reach the goal. But it stayed married. 
that they stayed that, married. It, that isn't the whole of the positive <laughs> thing. It's not okay. simply like because I <laughs> I've said this about my own grandparents, right? It's just like well, if the goal was just till death do us part, yeah, then I, I'm not advocating. By the way, like I feel like I'm I'm pushing in this like Mike's about to get divorced. I love my wife. We're very happy. Just I'm glad. For constant listener. Uh, <laughs> what is happiness? So, okay. So I'll say this because, because I've had the opportunity to, to do premarital counseling with couples because I've officiated weddings, right? And when I do, when I do that and when I talk to them, when I say, say about like, you know, talk about the vows, talk about the goals of marriage, I say, yes, you know, till death do us part is, is part of the goal. But also in that goal is that, is that you would be happy together, that you would be, um, that you, you would flourish, right? To use the, the word that Thomas likes to use, that you would flourish in that relationship and that, and that you would not simply end up, you know, dying, having been married to each other and hating each other. Cause I would, I would say like, <laughs> like making it to the end, right. Is, is part of the goal, but it's not the only goal. Right. Or it's so, not the only piece of the goal. It's just a piece of the goal. If we look at the, the system of morality prior to the sixties, right. It was, Divorce is wrong, so don't do it. So you stay together and, you know, how your marriage looks. I mean, I didn't live in the 50s or the 40s or whatever. Neither did any of us. Yeah. I mean, I'm working off of what little I know, um, but I I don't think that the system of morality necessarily spoke as much to how you live together. And, And I think that... Our society, like, you know, we might look at it and say, hey, it's look at all these broken homes. But did those broken homes start with married couples doing what was morally acceptable in the 40s and 50s that was producing broken children? Absolutely. And that's like why the flip side is just because you have a system of morality, which helps society function, which it has, right? However faultily. Right. Like, uh, you have some sort of shared sense of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Right. It doesn't mean that it has produced true goodness inside of a person. That was my right. whole point. Like morality itself cannot lead you to be good. And I use the word be there on purpose. You're being. You're being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we've talked about this. I mean, you know, either on the air or off the air. But we've talked about... We've talked about it. So come back to to sort of the, where morality comes from in that sense because I think I, I was having a thought earlier in that there are a lot of ways both modern and, and older, even ancient, where morality becomes – the system of morality becomes a reflection of the culture, right? And I think that that is – That's always the case. Not – True, not true, because I think that I think that that if if the goal of morality is to is to in a sense reflect the culture, which it often does, I think that there, I think the case of the Christian morality is to reflect something else. I think the case of Christian morality is is reflecting God. I don't even like using the term morality when it comes to. I think that's because Christian it's been ontology. poisoned for you. Yeah, probably, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I think it needs to be redeemed. Well, I think of it like, okay, when you're in love. Wait, are you saying that popular morality is no good? <laughs> <laughs> Constant listener Malcolm's 
that's a private dig at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, now it's a public. That's a public dig, yes. <laughs> so in terms of uh, like love, when the lover is pursuing his beloved, there's no real morality that comes into play. He is seeking, like the lover seeks the best for his beloved because he can't do anything else but be with her. That's all he wants. And actually, that might lead to amoral decisions. But he's so consumed with love that all he can think about is her. Is it love or is it lust? No, I think there's real love. There's a covetousness. Lust is, I don't think people are willing. Lancelot was not shaming himself because he simply wanted to sleep with Guinevere. He had already slept with Guinevere. Lancelot was shaming himself because he could do nothing other than be with her. I don't think that I would call that love. I think that I would call that covetousness. And, the, and I, it's because love doesn't, <laughs> love doesn't necessarily seek to, seek to own. Love, love uh, I didn't say the word own. I said he seeks to be with his beloved. Yeah, yeah, but. So let's leave your natural cynicism aside for a minute. Let me finish my actual example that I'm trying to talk about. It's funny that you're calling me a natural cynic. Because you're, you know, we hate the things in others that we see in ourselves. I guess so, yeah. (laughs) We hold a mirror up to one another. So let's assume for the sake of argument, Malcolm, that it's real love. (laughs) Okay. 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 And like now the lover directs his being towards the beloved. Okay. That is what we are supposed to do towards God. It's because we actually desire God and want to be yeah. with God. Yeah. It's not because we are trying to like control our behavior. I mean, that's the law, right? Like the law, the main point of the law was not salvation. It was to keep Israel set apart and functioning properly so the presence of God could dwell among them. It the main point of the law was that Israel would reflect, would reflect their God. Right. And it still is. But... It's different now. Like it's based off of love, which is I think transcends morality. Careful, because I don't, I don't think that that is different from the Old Testament. Maybe not, but the working out of it certainly is. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, love God with all of your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like that transcends like systems of morality. Systems of morality are controlled behavior. Whereas what the Christian way of life is, the life dedicated to God is supposed to transform your entire being. So there has to be a process by which you you make those decisions. There has to be a process by which you say, okay, I'm going to do this, not that, right? If we're, you know, dealing with a Dealing with a decision that is made like that, I guess. Not we don't make all of our decisions like that. A lot of them we just make sort of on instinct and reaction. Um, the the morality, I guess. There are there are times in in love when you have to make a decision like that. When you decide to do something for the good of your wife, are you doing it because it's moral or because you love her? Are you buying your flowers after an argument, or uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a different that's a different thing. Um, 
so are we mixing are we mixing things here? I'm not, I don't think. Well <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash, Thomas doesn't think that he's wrong. Um, well, can we can we I believe it's six impossible things before breakfast. Ooh. <laughs> can we um well, how do I want to put this? Do we have to do we have to define morality once more? Because because I'm I think that we've mixed a, a number of things in. We've gotten very into in law. Here. Well, and, and you know now Thomas has thrown in love, and I'm not sure what that's got to do with it. But um, because I believe love is above morality, that's my whole point. And that when you are doing something out of love, morality isn't like I'm not thinking about a system of codes and ethics and rules that are dictating my behavior. I am acting out of love for the benefit of the other, the true benefit of the other without thinking about myself. I don't, and I think that's above and beyond morality. I don't know that we can, I think we get glimpses of that. And I, and I, and I hear what you're saying, you know, because I, because I think I understand the framework that you're, that you're saying it in, but I think that we can get glimpses of that and pieces of that in, in this life, but I'm not sure that we can, that we ever achieve the whole of it in this life. I'm not sure that we ever know, know the whole of it in this life. Probably not, but those glimpses are enough to keep you going. I hope so. I, I really, do too. I'm banking on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you're banking on. <laughs> it's all I'm banking on is those glimpses. Let me ask, let me ask you this. Are you, are you suggesting that you take no concern for morality and focus only on love? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I still is, th- is that where you were thinking? Maybe. <laughs> I, I think I think that it looked almost like that was the, the cars passing on the highway there. Because well, then you get into the whole thing like what is love? And love can become yeah. perverted and detrimental. Well, that's well. The, I, th- I think that's the thing that I'm having trouble with is because because I agree with you that, that I think that there's a natural uh, – I'll stick with my wife for, for example for, for a moment here. For morality purposes. For morality purposes, yeah. <laughs> um, exactly, exactly. Um. I think that I think that there is a natural outpouring of love that I have for my wife, like you're saying, where I, I don't have to I don't I don't even have to consider whether it's a good decision or not. I just know that it's a good decision or not. But I think that there are times when I do have to consider and 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 probably the times when I when I fail are the times when I haven't considered, when I haven't taken into account love, when I haven't taken into account like is this is this acting out of love or is this acting out of my own self-interest? And I think that in a sense, love can sort of encompass morality. I, I, guess, I guess I would say that morality doesn't encompass love, but love can encompass morality. Does that make sense? Yes, I like that. Okay. So there are times when I need, I need to step back and I need to go through that process of, of assigning morality or assigning a, a good and a bad or a, a right and a wrong to what I do based upon the love, right? So, so love becomes the goal then. Love is the goal in that, in that moral decision-making as opposed to something else. And I guess that that's, I guess that that's sort of an interesting, interesting thing that I hadn't thought of, that um, the goal of our morality oftentimes shifts from moment to moment. The goal of our, our morality and our, and our world around us oftentimes shifts. And maybe that's, the, 
maybe that's the piece of like the heart wanting what the heart wanting because because the twisting of the twisting of love would be would be that very thing right because you would know you know to like you <laughs> like you said Mike oh you're going to stay with your wife as a good thing it's like yeah yeah, yeah. I think the problem. I think one of the problems too is that we run into when we talk about love is that we only have one word for it. Agreed, agreed. But so the the, the failing, I guess, of the of the moral system sometimes is is that it doesn't. It, sometimes it doesn't allow us, or, or we don't let it deal with the with the darkness that is in our own hearts, right? So, so, so the 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 love thing, right? Like, I love my wife. But if I'm honest with myself, there are times when I am frustrated, when I am angry, when I am disappointed, when I even admittedly have desires in other directions, right? And so love isn't – it's there, but there's this other thing. There's always love for her, right? But there's this other piece to it. And I I at times need something to to help me – to say, you know, one is right and one is wrong. But where do, so where, like, that's still a restraint of behavior. So how do we get to the point, if we're talking only about morality, where we're not simply restraining behavior anymore, but we're actually becoming transformed? It's lived out day to day. And it's learned. I don't know if a code of conduct is enough. Like the reason that like we see like true heroic actions say, like we give the medal of honor for those who have gone above and beyond the call of duty. Yeah. Right. Mm. And we're like, you look at them like that is a hero. You know, there's no question about it. That code of conduct, like we've changed it. Well, they, they've lived like that. They obviously took that thing seriously, but then we see them transcend it. That's what we're recognizing when we give medals, especially the Medal of Honor. We're it, seeing it, someone who's transcended even a code of conduct, which is good, is but it, they transcended it. Is it transcending it or is it achieving it on a higher? Well, like basically taking the spirit of it to heart, right? You is know? that what you would mean by saying transcend yeah, it? Yeah. That it is, um, it is it, no longer become an outward thing, but it is now become yeah, an inward thing. Yeah, sure. Like they become the embodiment. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So isn't that, isn't that in a sense like would we say that, okay, the code of chivalry, was that trying to do that on a level or, or was, that, was that merely a code of restraint? I think it was trying to do that on a level. And that's why, like, it's interesting I brought up Lancelot because he failed. He betrayed his king. Absolutely. But his love for Guinevere was real. But that doesn't mean that it was good. Right. Yeah. Can you? Did you? Say, what? <laughs> huh? What did you say? I think it was like just grunts of acceptance. To oh, I thought I got a, I, like, I thought I got I was a, affirming. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I was like okay. affirming grunts. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. It wasn't. No, I thought I got, I thought I got a, like a positive answer to my, to my question when I said, or to my comment. It doesn't mean that his love was good. No, yeah. It doesn't mean his love was good. Oh, okay. I probably could have picked a better example. I just find that a, Lancelot completely humiliated himself out of love, which is. That's why we have, isn't that what, it was Gawain, right? Gawain, yeah. Gawain well, was Gawain the one who actually... Too. Well, how did he fail? Because he lied to uh, the Green Knight. He was given the girdle that would protect him from any blow. So when he put his head down... Galahad. 
Galahad. Yeah. Galahad is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Sorry, I, didn't, I know. <laughs> I, I just totally interrupted you. It's but it okay. Was the, Galahad is the one that, because Galahad was the one who was pure. He's the one who eventually yes. found the Grail. Right? I should have used him. So. Galahad would have, and, yeah. and he didn't. He didn't cheat. He on, didn't cheat either. On, uh, Sorry, Mike. Cheat. These are I, just all Arthurian romance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was. I was going to try to. We switched. I was going to try to. Tolkien, get some take a back seat yeah, today. Yeah, sorry, Tolkien. We're talking about Arthur. <laughs> uh, didn't didn't uh, Gandalf train Merlin? <laughs> 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 well, anyways, what were we talking about here? Um, oh, the embodiment. That's a really good question. What were we talking about? We wanted the script. <laughs> no, no, we haven't wandered from the script. We we started with the goal. Um, but we also ask, we're, we're also asking, asking the question of where morality comes from, which I think is intimately linked with the goal, because I think the question of where it comes from will sort of indicate for us what the goal of it is. If the if the morality, well, we, we're if, talking about chivalry. Yeah, that was, that was what was trying to make the embodiment. Well, and let's and and, and I and I think it's very true that. Um, somehow the somehow the 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 goal of it has changed, right? Because. Uh, Chivalry is sort of interesting because it, it it definitely is is trying to codify a system of behavior and say like this is the way that we should be, whether or not we're always like that, but we 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 should be like this. Right. Um, and so it's trying it is trying to transcend something or or let's trying to embody something within us, right? And this is what I think the 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 telos of the law was in the old Testament, but it, it wasn't able to without the, without the changing of the nature of the person. And so I agree with you on, on, on saying that morality, morality is an outward, outward system won't change the inward person. It can help us to look good. It can help us to have a utilitarian functioning society, but it doesn't actually affect the inward person, and and there are times when it can come close. I think, um, you know, there are times when we can when we can do good things uh, without good intentions, um, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily change the change the inward person. And so, again, you know, if the goal of if the goal of morality is to is to change us, then it is going to fall. It is going to fall short, but it's not necessarily the morality that that is falling short. It's us that is falling short, and I think that this is the lesson in the in the Old Testament law. It's not that the law is bad. It's we're we're unable. Well, also, we're the ones that fall short. With Mike's point about like the spirit, right? Like, at what point do you look at the code of morality and say, you know what? Like in this situation, no, it doesn't work. Like that's where economy comes into play. Like oh, with the example of the, the marriage? You know, is it better to do mm-hmm. good or do evil on the Sabbath? Is it better to heal? Yeah. Like who among you would not save an ass from a pit on the Sabbath? Like we 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 take if we take these rules of behavior and we're hyper rigid about them, then they actually become corrupting. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> and they actually become corrupting. That's where you get like the scarlet letter, right? Like, yes, okay, adultery was committed, but like, does this woman's life deserve to be ruined because of passion? Of course so, not. So there's no so the I think that the I think the the corrupting thing 
is that it's taken grace out of the out of the equation. Well, you need to believe in God for grace. Well, you do. Yeah. Do you? I think so. <laughs> what do you <laughs> think? <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it's just permissiveness, which I think is what we've replaced grace with. I think we've replaced grace with a permissiveness, which is why, which is we, why we have. I don't, the, th- I don't think we truly have permissiveness. I think we have a different morality than the Judeo-Christian ethic, but it's very unpermissive. Explain yourself. You can sleep with whoever you want, but you can't say that it's not okay to sleep with whoever you want. Oh, that's interesting. Say, say that. Say it one more time. You and I could sleep together, but Thomas couldn't tell us not to sleep together. Right. So Thomas doesn't have permission. It's a weird duality. We, it's, so the actions are permissible, but the moral judgment upon the actions is impermissible. I mean, take, um, is it is it permissible for me to pay my employees a miserly wage according to <laughs> according to the as long as you don't go below like seven bucks <laughs> I like that. Well, well i mean according to the the more progressive ideas of, of our culture like I, I i would say no right like most people would say no that's wrong it's a it's a it's a different morality than maybe what we're used to there are different permissions and i think um shoot where was I going with that? I don't know. The the permissiveness, the it's 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 okay to do this one thing. It's not okay for you to say that it's wrong. Yeah. Well, so I, we were just we we're talking about how morality is permissive. I I don't think that it is. I don't think that it has become permissive. I think it's, so just it's shifted what's allowed. Is is it permissive in the form of action, but not in thought? No, um, because I think you're there's still there's still action that is. Unpermissible. Well, like the broad strokes, like murder, rape, theft. Right. Those are those are still generally right. Like unpermissible, regardless. Right. Judeo-Christian ethic, modern American culture ethic, um, or ancient, or or ancient. Yeah. Like most most places have some sort of most places and times and cultures have some sort of <laughs> rule against very expansive taking those things. things. Yeah. Um, but you know, when it comes to sexual ethic, when it comes to family ethic, um, I mean, even the way that like modern Christians raise their families would in some ways be shocking to Christians in the twenties. Um, I mean, the changes in technology have just made it wildly different anyways. But, um, so I, I don't think that we have, I don't think that we've gone into this state of just absolute permissiveness. I think we've moved into just a different ethic. And I think that's what feels to, uh, particularly Christians with a more conservative morality to have that, to be this very permissive thing, but it, it really isn't because there are things you, you just can't do. I th- okay. Keep going. Go ahead. Well, I go with it. I think I hear what you're saying and I appreciate that you brought it up because there is, I think there is a strange duality to, to the, to, to a modern uh, moral system, which is on the one hand, it's very permissive, Right. Because it's like, I want to do this, you can't tell me that I can't. Right. So it, it has a rigidity to it. It has a it has a an unpermissiveness to the other person in making that moral judgment, like you said, Thomas, right? And yet it has a very permissive nature to I get to live according to whatever code of standards I decide. So the where the yeah. morality comes from becomes a becomes a very important question. And and it's one of the it's one of the things I've told my oh. kids. It, 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 you know, again, you know, where our morality comes from, which is 
a really important question to this whole thing. I've tried to tell my kids, like, as Christians, you know, we believe these things, and so we right. live our lives according to them. But we can't really expect others to live according to those things if they don't believe those things, right? Right. And so, in some ways, I guess, you know, that's sort of reflected in... in in, I'm even sort of making my own morality sort of conform to a modern sense of it. Well, I mean, I mean, I think I think that I, I could find that in scripture. Well, but I, I mean, I think that I think that the, I, but well, in some places, maybe that's another discussion. Right. But um, yeah, maybe I'm wrong about it. But well, like the foreigner in your midst, right? Like you do the for the foreigner in your midst as you do for those. Right. For the, I, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of Paul saying, like, judge those inside the church and don't worry about those outside Yeah, that's the different. Church. That's someone entering into the assembly of Israel to stay in their lands as opposed to them, like Christians, journeying to Ephesus. And instead of Paul, you know, yeah. seeking a political solution, he just preached the gospel and the market in Ephesus collapsed because people stopped buying idols. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I remembered what the reason I was getting into the permissive oh, yeah. piece of it I had to do with grace. Yeah. I think that... Um, and and that's that's kind of the hinge is, um, I would say it's a different morality, not necessarily utter permissiveness, but um, different things are permissible. But I think that even within that, you can see that there are people that can act with grace, and there are people who will not act with grace, just as much as there are conservative Christians who will absolutely not act with grace based on the morality. And the rigid structures that they have where mm-hmm. it's apparently permissible to call people all sorts of awful names and attack them and things like that over political differences, right? Where, you know, somebody on the other side of that could say, you know, hey, I disagree with your stance on these things, which is technically it's not permissible for you to hold those stances, but I'm going to demonstrate grace. In this, you know, like, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I don't see much of that, actually. And I guess we could argue, like, maybe on, like, individual levels. Right. Well, I, I guess but, that's what I'm, like, 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 grace only happens on an individual level. I right. Don't, like, so, well, that's probably wrong, too. But societally, it's like, no, I mean. I mean, we cancel going, people on, on cancel the internet you. over your tweets. Yeah. But we do that both ways. Right. I'm not sad, so I'm not. But I, I think that there's, there's also a lot of people, somebody who's got like a Judeo-Christian morality, somebody who's got a, a modern progressive American morality for lack of – I mean there's probably a proper term for what that is. But um, Hedonism. So somebody, somebody who's like <laughs> steeped in hedonism. Uh, there are people on both sides of that who will look at the tweet, the offending tweet, and be like, can we just not ruin this guy's life over this one thing that he said? But the people who have cultural power are ruining people's lives over that one thing. And it yes. is pretty lopsided on how that is happening. We can argue that in the past, you know, it was it the other, way, the other around, way But yeah. in the cultural moment we find ourselves in, there's a clear line that has been drawn. And if you find yourself on the other side of that line and you dare to say things in public that are not uh, up to the new morality – they will come after you and try to destroy your life. Well, so it's... A, I read it, stuff about it every single day. People losing their jobs, university professors kicked out. Yeah. Losing tenure. It's it's a dangerous way one way to live your morality, and it's a positive thing another way, or it's a beneficial thing to live a morality, right? Because it, it, it depends on the moral system that you're... It depends on the yes. moral system okay. that, you're, that, you're, that you're saying, right? And, and I think that there is a truth to the fact that if you... 
if you express some things that have been true about or orthodox in the yeah. larger sense, not not just the denominational, not, the, not just Thomas sense, <laughs> right? But in the orthodox Christian historic sense, um, that is something that is less and less acceptable. If you espouse something in that more modern progressive morality, that becomes very beneficial. Uh, it depends on the the subculture you find yourself in. Uh, if you were to express, true. you know, some some more progressive ideas, mm -hmm. even without crossing any clear scriptural lines, in certain communities, you're you're outed. You're done. It's it's. I get what I was trying to trying to get to is is the beneficial piece of it, right? And so mm -hmm. it's a dangerous thing to say, like you know, stand up for what you believe in, no matter what, right? Because you begin to see yourself as like some sort of martyr, right? Right. And so even if children are making your shoes. And so, Nike. I was oh, oh. Nike. Um, you could see that to be true in a lot of different ways, right? Um, and so, morality doesn't necessarily always just tend towards what is acceptable or beneficial in, in in culture. I think I think a true morality has to come from someplace else. I think the 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 source of morality, um, if it's just if it's just only ever the best that we can come up with, it's it's going to be lacking. Well, you have to believe in some type of at least metaphysical principle if you are going... If you're going to say something's right or wrong. If you're going to say something's right or wrong. That's, and that's, that's kind of transcendent. Like, that's transcendent, right? Like yeah. even when you say, you know, this is, this, is, this is good. It's like, show me. I mean, I get it. Like I can't prove to you either. Well, the, like the, I, the, metrics that, the, the metrics that we have all devolve into some sort of economy. Well, what it is is it's faith. Like the, it takes just as much faith to say that this is good, and I can't like show you why. I can't use I can't use any type of scientific principle to show you why. I can't really reason because I don't believe in reason, and I you know I don't, <laughs> and I just know that I feel that this is good. I mean that's the same claim as if someone's like no like there is a God, uh, there is a giver of the law, and this is what it is. So wait a minute. So, so did you just? Did you just equate faith there? Yes, they have faith. Yeah. yeah. I don't... I, I. Their faith is just in themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I agree to that. Yeah. But it's not like... And really, they don't realize they're still talking about a metaphysical claim. Like, you can't show me... Like, show me goodness. Like, give me goodness in the palm of your hand. I'm curious who they are right now. The... The ones who new moral. yeah, the ones who subscribe to the new progressive morality, yeah. the 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 you know that which I desire is good. Our new moral overlords. Our new moral overlords. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I don't know, um, Mike. I appreciate I appreciate you your your poke there of of the you know it is not a simple like all abundant permissiveness. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, I think I think that there's a there's. There are, man, where am I going? So I feel like we've, we've, we've subconsciously created this line where we're saying like people in the progressive morality camp are atheistic um, and, and truly some of them are, sure. But um, I mean, I know atheists that are conservative. I know Christians that are very progressive. So I, I don't think that there's as much of this, this line of, faith anti-faith as it 
seems. No, that's what I'm saying. They have faith. Their faith is just in something different. I, I'm not sure that that's always the case. I mean, I think if we look at traditional Christian belief up until 1960, we can say that they definitely have faith in a different thing. They have a different approach. Because it's not the... just the moral thing. Like if we're yeah. going to talk about pro- people who are progressive in their theology, mm-hmm. it's not just that they have um, different views on sexual morality. Right. It's that they deny the virgin birth. They deny the resurrection of Christ. They deny the Trinity. They deny uh, that scripture is inspired by God. I mean, I've li- I was in those circles. I was an Episcopalian. I know what those beliefs are. I've been around them. And I still read about it all the yeah. time because I like to know what people with opposing beliefs think. And it's not – it is not Christianity. I don't care what they say. Like you don't – like we don't get to relativize 2,000 years of belief. That would be like if they said actually this is real Islam. People would be up in arms because we know what Islam is. It's a specific belief system. Right? We know what Judaism is. It's a specific belief system. And we put those, we, we, we are fine saying that that's what that is. Mm. But we hesitate in our culture to say, no, Christianity is actually a thing with its own principles that we don't get to change because we have been predominantly Christian. And what we're doing is actually rebelling against the morality we were raised with, which is like fine. I'm not saying that that's not necessary, but it's not Christianity. I think that we're, I think that the rebelling is against a, a twisting of, of, of the morality, a, a twisting of the Christianity because, because it got, it got allied with, with the political system. Um, and it was expedient to do so because, because we were after world war two, we were now set up to have a de- democratic free world fighting a totalitarian communist world. Right. And so, um, you know, the portrayal that was done was, um, you know, we are the, we are the, we are the, the culture that has God, that has, um, that has Christianity, and they are the godless, Christianless right. society, right? And so, I think a lot of the morality that was being rebelled against was not necessarily the, the the true Christian morality, but it was some, it was some. It's the problem when faith gets aligned with the state. It is always a bad thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, because, because there's always been a question about the visible and the invisible church. There's always been a question of like, you know, who is in, who is out, right? Like who, like, because not all those who sit in the pews are part of the church. We should go back to morality before we devolve (laughs) any further into. (laughs) So if, if there are, gosh, so we're, we're, we were at the point of. I'm not denying that they have faith. That's not what I'm denying. Yeah. But I just think that we do have faith in different things. Right? And yeah. maybe we could say traditional, use the terms traditional and progressive if to keep yeah. it for okay. the sake of conversation. Yeah. And and I think that that all exists on a... on a um, Spectrum? Spectrum. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> an alignment chart. <laughs> an alignment chart. Um, because I think that there are, there are um, progressive, more progressive-ish people who... At least when it comes to core beliefs like um, scripture and uh, deity of Christ, things like that, would still fall in line with what you would expect. Um, yeah, there are some of them, and I met some of them when I was still in the Episcopal Church. But like, there are yeah. few. So I mean, I guess like you know, looking at, I, I don't think that morality all the time is an argument about 
well, you do have faith. You just you don't want to admit it because I think that many of them are like many of them. I, I wasn't using this term them. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't using faith in that term. What I meant, like I meant like when I said like they still have faith. Yeah. Like what I meant was like when they. And I'm using they. When people who have a more progressive view of things, when people who have a more progressive view of things, right, or um, modern, postmodern, whatever you want to call it, when the claim is made that something is good, right? That I'm, what I mean is that is a statement of faith. Yes, because you're talking about a metaphysical principle there. And and I don't know that that anybody making that, some people making that statement would disagree. And be right. like, no, it's not. But I think a lot of them would be like, yeah. I think if they were honest, but like a lot of like people who argue for, you know, that we can find a materialistic or scientific basis for morality. Mm. You know, they would deny faith because they deny metaphysics. They deny abstraction like that. So they would say, no, we can see the good in, I don't know. A microscope or something. I don't know. Right, right. Like I, we, you can look from a sociological perspective and say the reason that this actually becomes beneficial is uh, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, because it, it, in the the long run, is is actually going to be good for our species in one way or another. And that is just as much a debate half the time about, or, or can become as much of a debate as pick your other thing. You know. Um, some of that becomes very difficult to prove or disprove. So, yeah, I mean, well, because the uh, the the other option is, oh, there is no good and evil, right? Like we're just Adam, and that the reason we naturally rebel against that thought is because we all know the consequences of it. We'd like to, th- you know what I mean. Right, or at right. Least worried about the consequences. Or worried about of the it. consequences. Might not know what the consequences. Or <laughs> worried about but, the consequences of being being ascribed to be evil, as opposed to being being ascribed to be good. Or just if you say there, there's none, there is no good, there is no bad, there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no such thing as morality. Good this luck. Is, well, this this comes back to the goal again. Like, if the goal of of the system of morality is to make you good then you're always working towards towards some sort of something toward, towards some sort of goal as opposed to what i think i would i would argue is is the is the moral uh, system that we see present in 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 the bible which is that now having been transformed now the the morality is a working out from the declaration of being good or the or the nature of being right the nature like the, the nature of your being has been changed in Christianity, and so now the working out of that becomes the moral system. What comes first, the chicken? Huh? The chicken. <laughs> <laughs> what comes? What comes first? Uh, the change. Like the change is the is the hinge point. It's the fulcrum right. of it all. Because what I'm I'm asking is, if we're talking about morality, in the sense that it could possibly lead to transformation. Is that what you were saying? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I think that I. I think that there is a. This is why I think morality ends up what you had said. It ends up with legalism, right? Because the goal of it becomes very, very important, and sometimes we don't always realize what the goal of it is. 
But I think sometimes we accept a certain form of morality thinking that it will, it will change us, right? Chivalry is probably a good example of this because if you, if you behave like this, you are... You'll become this. You will become this, right? And I think there's in part a truth to that. But I, I, think it, I think that when the goal of that is only to... I think you'll always fall short of the ultimate end of that goal, which is to become that thing. So I think that you can you can behave in a chivalrous manner and you can you can in some way approach being chival being chivalrous but never quite achieve it because it doesn't actually change the 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 inward the inward part, right? There has to be there's another piece of that which is that if you've been changed already to be chivalrous, then your natural outworking of that will be. So what was it in these old chivalric tales that actually made the knight be that? It was the, the maiden. code? Oh. <laughs> it was the goal of the quest. It was the holy grail, or it was, you know, the princess who was trapped. It was, you know, all these old troubadour songs. It was always about the knight who was going to seek his beloved. It was that thing that the knight was oriented towards. And that's also what makes the person who becomes heroic, like when they fully embody the code, they're given their lives to even like the people around them, even if it's just their brothers in arms, like it's their country. It's the men that they're fighting with. It's the loved ones at home that they want to protect. Like it's that thing that is other than themselves that they are oriented towards that allows them to embody it. So the knight had to have the quest. He had to have the object that he was moving towards. The quest now has become ourselves. Right. So how do we become transformed when we're just looking for who we are? You're going to lose yourself. <laughs> if you had one chance. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has one chance. You get a bajillion chances, guys. Come on. Yeah. That slim guy is kind of shady. <laughs> we've we've wrangled around with with the goal, with the um, with the source. Um, I don't know that we can say why something is moral. Maybe that's our. Maybe that's where we go from here. Maybe that's yeah. Episode three. Why would action be moral? It was just a question that I had written down that that I knew that you know as we look at this that there are things that that we need to there are questions that need to be asked about these things. Um, I don't. This has been an interesting one because y- y- as we were talking about good and evil, uh, Thomas and and Mike, you were you were saying, "Ooh, morality next." And I I will admit that I I sort of said, I, "I'm sure I can talk about morality, but I'm not." I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's where we go. I'm not I can't sure that get an I'm... hour out of that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, Seven hours later, <laughs> maybe in part that was what I was thinking of. But, um, but, uh, but, but this has been this has become a good conversation, I, I believe. So I'm thankful for it. I'm very thankful for it. I'm going to I'm going to bring us to a close here, and I'm going to pose that question of of why is a why is a decision why is why are these things moral. Why do these decisions that get made, what makes them moral? 
that will lead us to our to our next time. Thank you, constant listener, for uh, for bearing with us through through all of these all of these ramblings that we have. We are grateful for you, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or found it challenging, please like and share with your friends. You can find us online at pokethexium.com and join the conversation yourself at facebook.com forward slash pokethexium. Your hosts were Malcolm Fowler, Thomas Barton, and Mike Dean. This episode was recorded at the Black River Innovation Campus in Springfield, Vermont, and is sponsored by Indelible Inc., a web agency driven to perfect your digital presence. 